Well, thanks very much for joining this uh, TV in lockdown and the show must go on panel. Um, we're going to hopefully, I think each one of us here has had a bit of skin in the game on making a show in lockdown. And over the next um, hour and a bit, we're going to share some of the successes, tips, tricks, and some of the things that might not to do um, when making a series and the current conditions. So, um, thank you to the panel. We've got um, Chris Scott, who is the executive producer at Zepatron, who makes the match report. Uh, we've got John Adam Adams, who's a multi-camera director who directed the session. We've got Rebecca Patworth, manager director of CanCan, who executive produced the session. We've got Tim Whitwell, creative director at Shine TV, who executive produced a very British lockdown, Diaries from the Frontline. And I'm Andrew Jackson, and I am a creative director at Raise the Roof, but I was a director on uh, Kirsty's Keep Crafting and Carry On that was on Channel 4 recently. Uh, so the next um, hour, we're going to look at the various aspects of making the show in lockdown. We're going to look at tone, you know, what kind of tone feels appropriate at the current time or when the show was on air. And especially for shows that were live or weekly, you know, did the tone change over the course of production? We're looking at talent, from how to kind of work with talent where you don't have as much face-to-face -face time, and also things as simple as talent doing their own makeup. We'll look at logistics, moving people around the country when actually not moving around wasn't the simplest and most straightforward of tasks. Visual, you know, was the show um, easy to get on air in terms of visuals and the challenges surrounding making sets and graphics. Editorial, again, looking at whether editorial changed over the course of a production um, and the, the kind of successes and failures in that. And also the post-production kind of producing and delivering the show uh, to time and, and, and to the channels. So uh, first of all, let's look at the tone. So, you know, we've got a variety of different panelists here looking at um, scripted and non-scripted. So let's start with scripted, Chris. In terms of tone on the MASH report, um, what were your kind of, your, your instincts on it and, and did they change over the course of the, the broadcasts? Um, I don't think it changed over the course of the series, but it definitely was something we thought about when we, was, when we began. Um, we we essentially went on air a week after the lockdown had started but we'd obviously had quite a few weeks to get used to the idea of making a topical satirical comedy during um a global pandemic where a lot of people were going to get very ill and a lot of people were going to die and um it, it did change to be totally honest it did change uh, the tone of our show i think our show is normally a bit more aggressive um it's a bit um it's quite shouty and i think that uh, there's probably a better word than shouty but it is quite it's quite a it's a forthright punchy show and i think that what we didn't want to do when we started out with our first episode is put people off by being too aggressive at a time when people are feeling vulnerable. So Becky, we'll move on to Becky. In terms of, in terms of the tone of the staff show, talk about when you learned you got the show to deliver it and, and how long you had before you went from the phone call from I Imagine Joe Street to getting the show on the actual telly. Yeah, well, it was a really short period of time because we were planning to be in studio in about sort of five weeks later. And I think there was just like an appreciation that 
things were going to lock down and we were it was just not going to be feasible you know the yeah. studio all the work around construction all of that was going to end so it was a decision taken i think we had around maximum of 10 days to sort of go from feasibility studies to actually being on air um so it was hair raising yeah really hair raising um and obviously some of the pre-production that we've been doing for a studio show was completely defunct by virtue of the fact that we were gonna be in Steph's house, not have an audience. Um, so it was a really interesting gear shift for everybody concerned. Um, and I suppose, you know, in terms of term, I think what we really set out to do, I think the most important thing from our perspective is that in Steph, we had a piece of talent who's a journalist who was had a really strong appetite to connect with audiences. And um, that was sort of driving, driving our, um, you know, decision and appetite to get on air. And then, but internally we were very aware that we just didn't want to talk, we didn't want to be a news show. You know, there's enough of that going on. So we were obviously wanted to reflect and connect to audiences, but just make sure that what we offered um, was a point of difference to the news. And John, in terms of getting the show on telly, um, what were the challenges that you had to overcome? And, and in terms of your compromises as a director, what, what could you actually do in terms of making it look like a, like a, a, like a good TV show, despite being just in, in a kitchen and a... Yeah, well, you know, making a live show, as everyone knows, is, is difficult at the best of times. You know, when you've got a fully operational studio, um, a full crew, you know, plenty of time, you know, like, like Rebecca said, we had 10 days really to get this on air. Um, and, uh, and not only, you know, uh, learn how to make it, but learn what the show itself was. Mm -hmm. um, and so, so those were the biggest kind of challenges. And then, and then you got to uh, the technical challenges and, and the challenges of making it look like something that you know you can broadcast on on network telly um and and learn on the fly how to do that you know we like rebecca said we had a, a we were building a fully you know um self-contained studio on leeds dock six cameras four areas in, in integrated screens um audience um this real kind of breaking the fourth wall was a real kind of um, uh, style that we were going for and all these things um, w w you know for a show that we were going to make in, in, in five weeks time we now had to decide what the new show was and how we we're going to make it and, um, uh, and that was you know in itself in 10 days was a, was a massive challenge um, when I found out it was going to be in Steph's house I thought ridiculous it's never going to happen <laughs> um, and, and, then, and then the more we kind of talked about it and obviously, you know, these talks had to be very quick. Um, we realised that, okay, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one person on their own, Steph on her own. We can't have, uh, we can't have crew in our house so, and, and obviously an audience. Um, we worked out, you know, what, what we had to, you know, play with in, in terms of a set. Um, and, and what we did have and what we got very lucky with 
was we had four areas, which is exactly what we had in the studio. <laughs> we had four areas. So we went, right, we've got that. Um, how do we build in screens? Because that's what we were going to do. And we worked out, okay, we'll put a screen, screen in, in each area. Um, all right, we had, we, had five, we had five or six cameras. Let's put five or six cameras in. And we ended up trying to do what we were going to do in a very different way. Um, and, uh, but doing it in, in, you know, in, in a very, very tight space. So we ended up doing it with robotic cameras. Um, you know, I started out as a director on shows like Big Brother and Love Island. So robotic cameras were quite normal for me. So we, we turned it into a, hang on, why don't we make a live telly show but shoot it like Big Brother? Um, and, and that was one of the ways of, you know, overcoming this, you know, these technical problems. Great. And Tim, in, in working with Tone Still, when you made the, uh, the, the, the British lockdown, Obviously, it's, obviously, it spanned a very, very serious time, and, and it was interesting watching it go from kind of before lockdown to the lockdown, and then a subsequent time. But also, there's still a huge amount of lightness and touch. You know, how did you how did you drive all, all that, that, that through the storytelling? Um, well, we we uh, chatted it all through very carefully with Tom Charles. I have to say, by the way, I'm really impressed by everyone else on the panel and all the hard work you guys did. All we did was get an hour program out in five weeks, so. What we did was uh, quite minor compared to you but um we knew that it was a very dark and, and still is a very dark subject matter and it's you know it's affected my friends and family as well um but we also knew that um it's it's something that um we wanted to approach um with a lightness of touch because we we wanted to make it uh, an entertaining show and if it was just doom upon gloom upon darkness upon negative stories we felt that would be a real switch off and we felt that we owed it to the contributors who were taking part in the program to make sure that you know even though they had difficult stories and dark stories we had one uh, woman a radiographer who lost her father during the period of filming um we wanted to make sure that she was that, that, that she was able to tell her story in a way that you know she could communicate her feelings with an audience um, but it didn't, it didn't feel like, you know, you couldn't take too much of it because it was so negative and so pessimistic. So we looked for that kind of indefatigable British spirit, um, the kind of blitz spirit that um, I think has been displayed so many times throughout this period, especially with the clap for carers and with the kindness that a lot of people in lots of different communities up and down the land have uh, been showing, you know, cooking for neighbours and making sure that elderly and infirm people are okay. So. We, we looked for that kind of like keep calm and carry on spirit in the contributors that we cast. Um, and then we, we tried to make sure that, you know, the things they were doing, we could represent them in a, in a clear and interesting way, um, which is, you know, why we, we used uh, the mobile rig because they were filming their stories themselves. But we can come on to that later on. But basically because they were filming their stories themselves, um, that they felt like they had authorship over um, the, uh, the tales they were telling, um, but we just wanted we we wanted to make sure that they they got across what they wanted to say in, in as clear and as interesting and as engaging way as possible. Great, thank you very much. And I forgot to mention at the top, guys, people watching on on Zoom. If you've got any questions for any of us, then there is uh, the Q and A section where you can just write questions on, and I'll come to them um, at the end of the show if we've not already kind of answered them through the through the through the time. Uh, going on to talent now, so going back to the Steph show, Rebecca and John, 
obviously, you know, whose idea was it to put the show into Steph's kitchen and watch up for it? Or was it her idea? It, it did come from Steph. I don't think any of us would have um, <laughs> on there really. <laughs> it's, a bit of a, it's a bit of a presumption, isn't it? It did come from her. And I think that, that I think I sort of mentioned earlier, didn't I? I think the sort of journalist in Steph kicked in. She's a brilliant presenter and she just was really, really keen to connect to audiences. And I think that once it became apparent that, you know, the feasibility of getting into studio and any any way of creating the show was just it was just going to prove impossible i think it was a sort of off the cuff comment that then developed quickly through john's brilliance and through our technical manager a guy called hugwell who basically looked in at the feasibility of it is this even remotely possible and sort of as it became increasingly possible then obviously that's when the decision was taken let's let's just press go in terms of working with Steph, obviously normally when you're, you've got a presenter on a brand new show, you have quite a lot of FaceTime, quite a lot of chats, quite a lot of co coffee with them, quite a lot of rehearsals. You know, in, how was it the, the kind of situation that we were in? How did you work with Steph to make sure that, you were, that she was being produced correctly? You know, was it easy? Was it hard? Any challenges? I suppose the thing I would say, I mean, you know, John will have a different experience, but from my perspective, I, you know, the show's been in development a long time. You know, I mean, it's sort of like 16 months of development, actually, the Steph show, in different ways. You know, it was a big, that big open tender process and things yeah. like that. And obviously we'd piloted in September. So I, it, fortunately, I felt like, you know, there was a good deal of, FaceTime had been had, we'd sort of, that had been achieved. For some of the team coming on at a later stage, I think, you know, no, they didn't get quite as much time. But I think Ben and I, Ben Wicks, the other exec from Expectation, because I think we had had plenty of time with Steph. I think we were able to sort of influence and help a lot of the, a lot of those calls, really. John, what was your experience in terms of directing Steph with the situation? Um, she was amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't have that experience um, like Rebecca had. Um, I uh, met her for the first time um, at a distance for a window, um, standing outside of a garage with her in her living room. Wow. Um, with a, a window priced open a little bit. Um, the day before, you know, we were going live on air. And, and luckily hit it off with her pretty quickly. Um, and you know that relationship um, and trust, you know, was 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 really important. Um, you know, we 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 didn't have a lot of the trappings and time and resources um, that most shows have, and so you know, hitting the ground running and developing a relationship really quickly was really was really helpful. Um, but she's she was just brilliant. You know, I I can't think of many people that could pull that off. Um, on a daily basis, you know, with a, a newborn baby in one arm, one arm um, you know, with, with a few people in their garage, but broadcasting, you know, to a, you know, to a live channel um, was, was, was incredible. I can't, I can't think of many people that could, that could have done it. She could. In terms of um, when I was directing on the lockdown with Kirsty, we were shooting in Kirsty's house and she was doing her own makeup and her own outfits and you know Kirsty's pretty good at choosing outfits and I'm not I'm terrible but there was one moment she came downstairs and this outfit it looks a bit suspect and so, <laughs> so she sat on on the set and all the cameras were pointing at her and it was Kirsty have you worn that have you worn that on camera before I know it's a new thing 
So I said, just take the cardigan off. It's not doing anything for you. I said, and has that been on before? That, that's it. And up she went to change. That was half an hour of the schedule I never got there. <laughs> um, you know, so kind of people sometimes do need second opinions. Uh, Chris, in terms, of, um, in terms of Nish and the team down there, you know, how was it? Because obviously normally you'd have a writer's room, everyone's in there fighting, I imagine. What was it like on Zoom or Skype? Yeah, it was all on Zoom. It was all exactly like this. So um, we set uh, Nish and his writer's room up with a, um, with a Zoom Pro account and uh, they just spent all day chatting on the Zoom because that's very much how their writer's room works. It's, it's very much a conversation across a few days and then towards the final day they, they go off in pairs or individually and actually get some writing done once they spent a few days making jokes, just sitting around having a laugh. But then there's a, the, the Daily Mash, the news desk uh, writer's room is a, a separate writer's room completely. And um, they just got back to the way that they used to write when they were on, when they were doing the Daily Mash website, which is writing just sat in their flats alone. Uh, and that's always worked for them. And um, yeah, that's, that's what they continued to do. Um, so I don't think, in fact, in a lot of ways, I don't think it affected the writers' room. Not, not really. Then did they enjoy it? Did they, or did they learn to enjoy it? Yeah, they re they loved it. They, um, you know, at a, a skip. Well, you know what? They're all stand-up comedians, so they're all just happy to have a job. Tim, in terms of casting for for uh, the normal folk, were there any differences? Any challenges? You know, quite a lot of people do casting on Skype and Zoom anyway. Um, but did you ever, did the team ever meet anybody or, or have face-to-face -face time with them? No, um, in fact, what the team did was we put the, the regular casting calls out on social media and, and through our own kind of networks. Um, and then uh, we asked people if they were interested because it very much was them filming themselves on their own phones. We asked them to send in short clips of themselves uh, talking about their lives, talking about their jobs, talking about the challenges that they faced. Um, and in that way, it, it worked very well, you know, so we were able to sort of see what people were like, see what they were uh, doing on their phones, how they came across on camera, um, what kind of uh, tone they had, how engaging they were. It was very easy to do that for us. Um, and we had a very, very good uh, casting executive called Kay Green, who's worked on all of Shine's programmes from Hunted to the Island and the Heist. So we, um, sh she knows very much the, the, kind of, uh, the kind of people that we look to try and put on television. And, um, and she had a, a very good team working with her. And also I was working with um, two other senior people, Tom Hutchings and Tom Williams, who have also worked with me uh, a lot before. And uh, we always try to find people to go on our shows who have something, even though they might be in a difficult situation, they engage with it in a positive way. And so that, that was really what we wanted to, uh, to find. We wanted people who were, you know, facing hardship, but, but engaging with it in a, in a positive way, um, because we wanted the programme to be quite inspirational for people watching it. So there were, there were two characters, for example, who were running a shop down in uh, Dawlish Warren in Devon two wonderful individuals with a, a small local shop. And they're, basically their, their clientele disappeared overnight because they sell mainly to campsites uh, in the Dawlish Warren Devon area. And so they had to completely reinvent their, 
their business overnight by starting a delivery service and taking it out to elderly people or infirm people in the community. And, uh, you know, it, it was something, you know, that they, they, they could have just sat there and said, right, our business has gone, close all the shops, but they didn't. They decided to do something to help themselves. So that provided us with some really good narrative strands for us to follow. And uh, they happen to be very engaging and very amusing people as well. They have that, that really great sort of black sense of, of humour that the Brits have, you know, that kind of, that you, you, you kind of see in, in you know, programmes like Dad's Army and all those kind of things where it's like we're in a bad situation, but we're going to use humour to get round it. Um, and so that, that, you know, that, that really helped with the casting. And also we were looking for people, you know, we wanted to find somebody who was, a couple who were giving birth um uh, during our filming period and and you know that that was quite easy to find them but more difficult to, to sort of you know in, you know persuade them that they wanted to engage the whole nation with their their story on camera but we we managed to find a, a couple who did that um and i guess what came across really well in the program was people's honesty you know they were very they wanted to talk about the situations they were in in a very open way and that, that made them very engaging so you know, that was important. And then we, we had another story where we were filming in a care home down in South Wales in Pontypridd. And um, we, I happened to have a relative who was in the care home, so knew the setup there and was talking to the clinical, clinical director of the care home. And they told me that they basically, all the, the carers had decided to live in the care home for the duration of um, uh, the pandemic. And so they weren't going out at all and they were, they were basically putting the patients first and, you know, being split up from their families and loved ones. And so, you know, sometimes the best stories are ones that you just pull straight from your own life. And, you know, that was, that was an example of that. So I don't think that many care homes would have let us just go in and have the kind of access that we had, but because they were filming it all on their own phones themselves, it gave them a, a degree of control, which I think was very reassuring for them. And in terms of keeping up the relationships, obviously, it's key for any programme, but especially in the in the seismic situation we were in, did that prove challenging? Were there, were there any people who actually took part at the beginning who then decided that they didn't want to continue because the, their situation had changed? Oh yeah, yeah. No, we had quite a few people who sort of engaged with it at the beginning and then sort of changed their mind halfway through, and that's completely understandable. Um, I guess we were, you know, we were probably following around ten to twelve A stories and probably, you know. 15, 20 B stories. So we kind of knew that there, there was going to be a dropout rate and we factored that into it. And we had two very good producer directors who um, basically stayed in contact with our contributors at all times of day and night. And they were on the phone, they were on WhatsApp, they could chat to them over the mobile rig that we were using. So, um, and they were all working from home as well, obviously. So I think there was a sense that we were with the team and the contributors that we were all in it together and we wanted to make um, a programme which really documented what the whole country were going through. We were quite inspired by the sort of mass observation uh, experiments of the 1930s where people, you know, in Orwell's day were writing about their experiences and what they were going through. And we felt that we could do this, you know, using camera phones for people filming their stories and filming about their experiences. So, so you know, there was a really good feeling on the team and with most of the contributors that, that they were doing something that was important and that meant something, you know, it gave them a name. Yeah. And in terms of, of uh, logistics, so Becky, you said that you only had like 10 days to go from, from 
not having a program to being in the garage. So talk us through how it actually works and maybe John needs to, whoever is the most appropriate, talk about the actual setup you had at Steph's house. I mean, I think John is, is best, best place to realise that. I mean, I think all that I would say is that we, we just simply had to have as, you know, as few people as possible there. That was the sort of driving dynamic of it and everybody else worked remotely. So, but John can describe the full, the full <laughs> dream team that were stuck in the garage. We, 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 we had two stages to this. So we were on air for six weeks and we had two stages. Stage one was very much, let's get on air safely um, and quickly. So, we, you know, we had, fr from pressing go, I think it was about a week. Um, and we managed to do that with 14 people. So 14 people through the gates of Steph's house, um, uh, in the garage and in various trucks in a, in a driveway, you know, maintaining safe distances and all of that. We had 14. Um, that's what we managed to get it down to. While we were on air, we then tried to get it down further. So, uh, you know, getting it down to 14 um, in itself was tricky. Um, and that included just one person um, at any time in Steph's house, not when we're on air, but at any time one person in the house. So people doing the rigging, sound, everything like that, just one person. Um, during the, the live show, there would be zero apart from obviously Steph. Um, and that in itself, you know, I could, ex I could talk about um, how you learn new kind of skills with that, you know, as a director, um, you, you become a bit of a floor manager, a bit of an audience, you know, you, you laugh at jokes a bit more, more than you would over talk back, just so she feels like she's got someone else in the room with her, you know, to bounce off, because it feels like, you know, um, it's a very lonely place presenting a live show on your own anyway, let alone from your living room. Um, but yeah, so, so stage one was um, very much, let's do it as, as, as quickly as we can with the, the, the fewest amount of people, and that was 14. And then, uh, you know, the, the, those people were, you know, obviously me, uh, a script supervisor, um, uh, a producer, a vision mixer in the garage. Then there'd be an EVS operator, um, a sound supervisor, um, uh, a graphics op, and uh, um, one operator doing kind of everything from satellites to um, operating the robotic cameras. But yes, we got that down to 14. However, phase two was reducing this even further to, to you know, make this safer and make this more kind of, you know, easier for Steph and, and you know, for... For everyone. So phase two uh, after three weeks was try and make it into a, as much as possible a remote production and we got that down to, to just four people on site. Um, the camera operator, a kind of guarantee, um, uh, a sound assistant um, and a kind of unit manager and that was it, four people on site and everyone else, myself included, would be in an OB truck in Leeds Dock, the biggest OB truck we could find for you know safe distances, and uh, yeah, so we, we we got it down, and that then a show that was very difficult to make, we then had to kind of relearn how to make it, because on a technical level, it was very different. It was much easier, believe it or not, coming from uh, Steph's garage. Um, because, you know, apart from the hypothermia, it was, you know, things like delay didn't, you know, didn't uh, exist 
um, Skypes going into her screens and things like that. There weren't delays on that. Talkback delays. As soon as you you put you know the gallery in 45 miles away, um, you, you're basically bouncing uh, you know images and talkback over the internet to and from Steph's house. So we ended up in phase two. Um, I say we. I, I had no idea how they. The, the tech guys achieved it. But most of the show was, was broadcast to us from Steph's house over domestic internet lines, amazingly. Mm. So that was phase two. So, so we've got it down to four people. And Rebecca, in terms of the joy that our, our beloved commissioning editors, how, how was that working? How, how, we, how was everybody feeding in to the editorial and, and making sure that everyone was, was happy? Well, um, they were brilliant. I mean, it's Jess Street and Jane Stranger were, you know, were absolutely involved from the off. I think, you know, they felt an enormous amount of responsibility. You know, they understood the weight that was on our shoulders and what was being asked of Steph and all the team. So, you know, they couldn't be more supportive. And I think it was, it was basically a daily communication loop that happened that, you know, from very early morning meetings, um, which they would be in on, one or other of them through to a sort of a compliance um you know there's a compliance conversation that's happening across the broadcast with lawyers etc and then following up with a push or zoom so there was a constant the communication was constant and regular um and they could they couldn't have been more supportive you know and they did help as the show evolved on air you know, inevitably through conversations about what was working, what wasn't, you know, all of that. So yeah, they were brilliant. In terms of, obviously this is right at the height of the lockdown, isn't it? This was yeah. in early April, wasn't it? Absolutely. And in terms of, obviously we, we, the today, uh, the broadcast of, of an acts of protocols that we're all going to be looking at for the next few months, I suspect. But actually there was, you were, we were all kind of writing the rules as we went along. How, you know, how were you keen on, on making sure that everybody, well, obviously everyone was safe as humanly possible, but how confident were you that, that we were abiding by those, those rules and, and people were doing it? I mean, I think, you know, ultimately you're working in a room on a remote basis. And I think all you can do then is, you know, you are effectively, that's part of every bit of communication, isn't it? You know, that's being led by John, by you know, Jeanette Lucas, who was the, you know, deputy editor on site by Mark Tugwell, project manager. So, you know, there's a, it's, it's just implicit. Every conversation has that at the heart of it from the off, you know, so it is about, you know, the, it's, it's true with the conversations with Steph, you know, every time somebody went in her house, there was, everybody's in spraying and being careful, you know, that the, so, so it's, I think it's just sort of, it's absolutely embedded in the conversations that you're having that this is priority number one. And I think when that's, you know, the basis from the start, I think everybody does take it really, really seriously. Um, I think that's right, John, isn't it? I think it was just like, it was inculcated in the culture of the show, you know, it mattered, yeah. And, and, and it was all about, you know, we just had to get, keep communicating that with each other and reminding ourselves, anyone who's made live telly knows, that someone doing a live show could come and headbutt you and you wouldn't realise it because you're so in the zone. Yeah. You know, it's going wrong on air and a piece of kit fails and you're literally live on air. The, you know, the urge is for anyone technical to 
run all together in that direction and fix it. And, and that was the tricky bit where you'd have to say, no, back off, you know, we've got to be safe. Um, which, which goes against all the kind of, you know, anything we've learned and uh, picked up along the way. Interesting, because we took Devon crew down to Kirsty's house in Devon and we, everybody was going down and had to self-isolate in their own houses for seven days. Yeah. And, you know, I was, I was like my, my government approved walk in Glasgow Green. Um, and it was great because that means that I could have the runner came around with food. So, you know, <laughs> it was fantastic. And he bought much better food than I would ever buy. But I'd say what was interesting was drive. So I, I live, in, live in Glasgow and the, the shoot was in Devon. I had to drive, we had, there was no hotel, so we had to drive all the way in a one And that was the most scariest bit is driving all the way down. I, I was, had this fear of going to be arrested all mm. the time. I had a Channel 4 letter that said that I was working on a public service broadcast, which I was slightly dubious about. Um, uh, so, so, so yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting. And, and Tim, in terms of managing um, uh, contributors and making sure they're all fine, how were you in terms of, of making sure that you weren't filming anything that was perceived possibly as being, as being non-socially distant or, or, or were you filming things that were and kind of going, well, actually it's real life? Well, you know, I think we made sure that everyone on the team, I mean, we weren't out there filming, so they were filming themselves. So, um, and we made sure that, you know, there were very clear government rules about social distancing and how to stay safe. And we, we implored the people who were filming, you know, to make sure that they respected, you know, those guidelines. But we, we, we never had any problems with any of it at all, because um, I think, you know, it was at that time where, people were very, very wary and very, very frightened. So everything that they did, um, they were very aware of the risks. So it wasn't, it, it wasn't, I mean, we, we had a chat with them and we talked to them about it, but um, you know, they're ne they're nev it, it didn't, it, it did, we, we never saw anything that we thought, oh my God, why on earth are you, you know, filming in that way? I mean, I think the most difficult thing that we probably did was um, we had a contributor called Tilly who worked with, who works with the homeless, uh, she has a feeding station um, in Shoreditch in East London, and um, she, she she basically um, was was you know there filming herself working, and you know she you know there there were lots and lots and lots of people um, in you know close proximity to her, but uh, you know she took the regular precautions that um, you know anybody in that situation would do anyway. So I mean that was the one thing we were slightly worried about, but I think you know it you know you know what what you saw you know we wanted to see the gritty reality of it so you know we you know we wanted people to stay safe but we didn't want them to completely alter their their lives so it seemed artificial and in terms of the rig you talked about earlier do you want yeah. to explain a bit about that yeah so the rig so i have to say uh, this the rig is very much down to a colleague of mine um a chap called tom hutchings who's a real technical whiz kid and we made a big series um, last year and year before called The Heist for Sky, which basically involves ordinary people um, stealing a lot of money uh, and then trying to keep out of the way of detectives who are trying to track them down and nick them. And um, we realised when we were making that series that we couldn't film with these people openly um, in a local area because it would be obvious that they were the guilty ones being followed around by a, uh, by a camera crew. So what Tom did was he worked with um, a piece of kit called LiveView, which you can download on your mobile phone or you can fit uh, the LiveView box onto the back of a camera. And news and sport use this quite a lot. So it, it basically 
uh, uploads your footage um, via 4G uh, down onto a server where we basically look at all the footage coming in and uh, we're able to have talk back with the people who are filming and we can discuss with them how they're filming, what they're doing, you know, the decisions they're making. So it's a kind of, for us, it was an amazing tool to be able to capture people, you know, to see people filming live and to be able to communicate with them about the stories they're telling. Um, and uh, we started off giving people, you know, we, we had to clean the phones, obviously, and be very careful on that, but we were giving people iPhones to, to film with. But then we quickly realized that, um, you know, most people have very sophisticated uh you know um phones uh, smartphones these days and all of them they could all uh, download the live view app and film themselves on that so it ended up really that we we were not giving out kit in the end most of the time people just downloading the app and filming it on their phones themselves so tom williams uh, the exec and i um it, it kind of evolved as as it went along but um it got it sort of got easier as it went along as well because we found that Lots of people didn't really want to talk to us, you know, while they were filming or during their filming. They just wanted to get on with it. And then they chat to us afterwards via WhatsApp and tell us what's been happening. And then we talk to them about it and we discuss the best way to go forward. So um, as it, yeah, as it progressed, the whole, the whole rig thing got easier and easier, which is kind of surprising, really. You expect things to go wrong and for it to get more difficult. The one thing we did have was footage that was being uploaded. Um, some of it went missing. Um, and uh, it wasn't transferred properly um, into our edits, but we had a really brilliant producer director called Michael Perry, who who basically <laughs> went into the server and dug all this stuff out and found it. And we were so relieved because we thought we'd lost loads of footage. We hadn't. It just hadn't been transferred properly. So um, so yeah, it was a really interesting way to make TV. And I think the thing that we all loved about it was that it gave people the freedom to make their own to make their own telly and to tell their own stories, which felt really liberating for them and for us as well. And it's interesting about the data. There must have been a serious amount of data being fired around. Yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously some was, you say some was lost, but then was found. How were you keeping across all that? Because I imagine lots of people watching are going to be having data fed into them rather yeah. than bringing back. So we had people logging, we had people logging the material. So, so we had um, uh, people, log, you know, we had loggers in their own homes watching it and logging it for us. And also because the story producers, the producer directors, you know, they were talking about sequences all the time with the contributors. They had a very rough log of what they knew should have been shot. And then sometimes when we, you know, a sequence of somebody, you know, taking their wife to hospital, we knew that that had been shot, but it just wasn't there. So we thought, well, that, we know that's been shot and we had to go back into the server and look for it. So um you know it's 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 one of, it, it was it was trial and error but um but it worked thank god <laughs> <laughs> and chris in terms of, of kind of making the show look like an entertainment show but without going into a studio how, how did you overcome the set design you know what did you do to make 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 the best of what what you had did you ever think about kind of going into you know green screen or anything like that to try and make it look jazzier or was it simple just to go with the box room um well yeah we very much went with a box room for uh nish i mean that literally was his box room uh that we sort of dressed a little bit with stuff from his house um we were so keen to be um you know socially distancing as much as possible 
Um, and uh, yeah, so with Nish, it literally was his box room. And we thought that, and I think rightly, that, that would be, there'd be a, such an intimacy and a sort of thrill to being in the actual host's crappy room. Uh, I'm sure you won't mind me saying crappy. <laughs> uh, that, uh, that, 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 will make, that will make up for the lack of glitz. And then for the newsreaders, we thought, well, that the reality in their world, they are newsreaders and newsreaders are all in the studio. So we need to make them look roughly like they are in the studio. So we sent over um, mounted uh, backdrops of that London at night cityscape that they're normally in front of a moving version. Uh, but they were enormous. Like, I remember Ellie sending me a photo, Ellie Taylor, the news anchor, sending me a photo of it in her room. Her, she had it in her bedroom. It's the biggest room she could fit it in. And it was tilted forwards because it didn't quite fit in under the ceiling even. Um, so it was, it was a bit of a hardship for them having all this rubbish in their houses, their flats for seven or eight weeks. And then a couple of people were on green screen. They were doing their, we sent green screen rounds or they had their own green screen. I mean, what's interesting actually, working with a load of comedian performers, that so many of them have their own stuff. <laughs> uh, they're so used to filming stuff. They film their own sketches. Professor Brubaker, that's not his real name. Um, Greg Johnson, who plays Professor Brubaker, has basically his own mini studio in his garage. Um, so he filmed himself at green screen and it looks just as good as it does when we're on the show. In terms of camera kit, did, did you have to kind of dispatch remote cameras or, or were they set up by professionals or did Nish and the team kind of set them up themselves? Um, in, it varied. We sent out the cameras pre-lockdown because we were sort of anticipating lockdown. And um, uh, in Nish's case, we sent a cameraman in with full uh, mask on <laughs> who, who bleach cleaned all of the equipment before taking it into the house uh, and, and set it up for him. But then in, in the example of Ellie, who had a very similar setup, in fact, um, she set up the camera herself, um, but with, with a cameraman chatting to her over the phone, or possibly over a Zoom link, maybe it was. Um, so in many instances, we really did ask them to do much more than they normally would. And they... And they all excelled. <laughs> I mean, John, the advantage of working with, you know, 20 and 30 something comedians, they, they are pretty tech savvy. Yeah. And John, obviously you had grand plans for the staff show in a big gorgeous studio on the Leeds waterfront, and then you ended up in a, in a, in a, in a, in a kitchen. So in terms of an editorial flair and, and vision, what could you actually do on set? And, and were you happy or did, and did things change? Did things work? Did things not work? I've got to be honest, if, if I had to design a kitchen and living room to shoot in a show like this, it would have been Steph's house. You know, it had 270 degree windows, you know, plenty of natural light pointing in roughly the right direction. It had four areas that you could shoot in, so it didn't feel like you'd have to, you know, sustain, you know, an hour of viewers' attention in one spot on a locked-off camera. Um, so, it, you know, I got really, really lucky with that. Um, and uh, it was very easy to kind of do a camera plan with, without kind of, you know, moving, moving shots or, you know, multi-camera cuts as such, but use areas for, you know, different items in the show. We got really, really lucky with that. Um, another big thing 
um, because we couldn't, because of the way that the kind of tech was sorted and we couldn't use uh, screens for, you know, a little bit like they do on Ranga Nation, they do brilliantly. Um, they use screens for sync um, and uh, Romesh um, uh, interacts with the screens. The way we were doing the tech, we couldn't do that because we would be so out of sync. Uh, so we went down the boxes route and using, you know, multi, multi view boxes on screen using, you know, up to five sources at once. Um, and, and that became a big look that you wouldn't, you know, we'd never normally do on a studio show, but um, you, you, using those boxes um, for, for, for multiple sources worked really well for us. It felt like you could get five people in the studio into her living room, you know, with them being all over the, you know, a little bit like we're doing now. Mm. Worked really well. And Chris kind of touched on it earlier in terms of, of Nish in his in his workshop. It felt quite intimate, and you know, being in someone's home is the ultimate kind of, 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 of kind of come on in. And did, did was that helpful in terms of creating the tone for for kind of Steph's Steph show, having it in her house? Yeah, it, it did really. And 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 funny enough, when when I was first brought on, we me Becky Ben um, had a chat um, about the kind of look and feel of it. And I always thought, having you know watched Steph on the telly, um, a really big part should should be breaking that fourth wall. Um, should should be about not hiding your crew, um, and and shooting past the camera line. Um, and when we ended up in a house, that you know, that worked really well. You know, we we couldn't avoid it. But having the sound assistant through the window peering in, building him into the show. Um, <laughs> One day, Steph said to me, what happens if the doorbell goes? I said, go and answer it. And <laughs> he did. She had a pizza delivery for the crew at the end of the show, but mm -hmm. it came half an hour early. So she went and got it. And you got that goggle box moment when you just got an empty chair in a living room, but you're hearing them, you know, doing something every day. Um, and actually, that, that worked really well. Yeah, I think it is. It's, I think what was fantastic about being in Steph's house is that it reflected what was happening for everybody else. Yeah. It was going into lockdown. Everybody was being pulled into their domestic sphere. And so her experience echoed everybody else's. So I think that was something really unique and special about it. That was lovely. It really did feel, actually, that's the one thing we're all learning. Even looking into all our kind of into our homes now, when you talk to commissioners, you see people's homes. It's, it's quite... I don't ask this question yet, but someone's did a good question is, did Steph want the show to end once you realised what it was like having the team outside all the time? <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was difficult for her, I think, you know, there's no getting around it. <laughs> <laughs> um, in terms of editorial, what was it like keep creating, I mean, doing a live show is, is and a daily live show is, is, is challenging at the best of times, but kind of keeping those ideas coming and coming and coming. It's been even harder when, you know, it was a single subject that we're all talking about. You know, how we, how was it working? Um, well, I think, I mean, I think, as we, I said earlier, we sort of wanted to avoid sort of virus. You know, we made a conscious effort not to do that. And I think we, you know, in the initially it became about reflecting back to the audience, what was going on for them, reaching out to families, reaching out to carers, reaching out to some of the amazing contributors. Um, you know, people who were doing extraordinary things in extraordinary times, you know, we went out and reached 
out to those and brought them in. And I think that felt right for a while. And then I think there came a point about mm, third week in where we decided um, the mood was changing and there was sort of a need to move beyond reflecting a lockdown conversation and sort of moving to more escapist content. So I think, you know, the beauty of a daily live show is that you are able to tweak, you know, you are able to sort of tweak on a constant basis. It's tiring, but yeah. you know, there were lots of great people working on it. And I think an appetite, so it was brilliant because we were connecting to audiences and getting a lot of immediate reaction and that does push you on, you know. And Chris, you know, it's, Sometimes you have, I imagine writers have spontaneous ideas. It's, it's, it's very hard to be spontaneous on, a, on Zoom or on Skype or on other video calls. You know, was there any frustrations on that? Or, or are there things that you, did, you learned as you were progressing that actually, that you might use forever now? Um, yeah, I, I, I don't feel like it held us back actually, creatively at all. And, um, uh, and we still could have conversations on Zoom when the internet was working. And um, it, uh, it, it didn't change much. And it opened up this whole new world of humour. And my God, if, you know, a big part of comedy is shared experience, then there's fewer, greater shared experience than a national lockdown. Um, and so it allowed us to poke fun at the situation we were all in. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and so, and so, yeah, it, it was joyful, you know, as much as we did spend a lot of time talking about coronavirus, which is, which is, uh, tricky. Um, but because our show is quite sort of journalistic in terms of its, you know, for a comedy show, it is quite analytical and quite factual. Um, we're better, we're better placed to, to do it than others, you know, um, it's, I always thought, you know, we came, we went on the same week as Have I Got News For You and, and, they, and they swerved coronavirus for a lot of their, a lot of the time. They've mentioned it every show, but they did avoid it a lot. But then if you're doing an odd one out round, how do you talk about coronavirus? Whereas, you know, we're doing quite journalistic pieces at times. It allows us to deal with that stuff. But yeah, in terms of... Um, we definitely, I think we've learned, if we're lucky enough to get another series, I think we've learned things about our show from doing it in a lockdown that we will take forward. I think there's a, I think there was a, we lost a lot of the sort of light entertainment um, trad things that you end up relying on, like, you know, wide shot of the audience and music sting and then moving across the set and just in favour of crashing into stuff. And I, I actually think we'll do that from now on. Um, and Nish's softer, his softer way of speaking to the camera, I think, probably is, is simply better. And I think it will be better in a studio as well. And I think probably our show works better as an intimate show. Yeah. So I, I can see a situation where we, we would reduce the size of our set and, and um, get a smaller studio, smaller audience and have something that feels a bit cosier. Yeah. And Tim, is there anything that you have been working over when we when you did the uh, the lockdown program th that you think actually that's not a bad way of doing it that even when we go back to whatever normal will look like that you might um not um well i i mean i love the way in which um 
it felt like people were in charge of their own storytelling and, and in charge of the way they structured the tales that they wanted to tell. And I, re I really loved that. Um, I mean, I, I think it's a very specific thing to a very specific type of programme and not, not every kind of documentary can be made in that way. But um, it did feel authentic and it did feel like that, the, the, you know, people experiencing the kind of hardships and, uh, you know, disruption that they were experiencing, being able to tell it themselves and be in charge of that, I think felt liberating. So I did love that. Yeah, I mean, I would like to try and go back to using that again at some point. Absolutely. But when we're going to Chris's point, what was interesting when, when on, the, on the first morning of filming the Kirsty series, um, Kirsty was filming it in her dining room. There was two cameras, socially distant. And as soon as I closed the door, I could see the fear. She had the fear because it was, there was no expert with her. There was no audience. You know, it really was interesting. And actually, what I thought it brought out, and a lot of people have said it in, anecdotally, is that actually they thought her performance was much better. And once she kind of calmed down and worked out, okay, this is, this is going to be the next 10 days of doing this, she was, she was really strong. And I think, you know, it is interesting what, what this, this pandemic has brought out. Actually, people, people have seem to be raising the game. In terms of post-production, um, Chris, how was, you, how was the post-production work for you guys? Because obviously different houses, different people, all feeding in, editing remotely. I want to talk a bit about how, how you did it and, and anything you learned from it. Um, well, what we learned is it's a nightmare doing a show. You know, we went from uh, making a show on a Thursday night in a studio in a sort of hour and a half long record. Um, that is obviously getting edited as it goes somewhat by, you know, uh, by a vision mixer. Um, the, everything about it is already top notch. And then we do an overnight edit and then we edit it the next day and we're all together in a room, you know, making changes as we go along to basically filming the show from Tuesday afternoon until Thursday night, almost continuously, uh, different bits of the show and then editing it from, um, from Wednesday morning until, including a Thursday night overnight until, until Friday night. Um, and that was just one editor, apart from the overnight, that was just one editor doing the whole lot. And I know, and he was absolutely brilliant, Tim Ellison at the farm. Um, and, but he, I think he was doing long, long hours um, because he's getting less good footage with worse sound. We're essentially making a load of VTs. Um, so yeah, it, it was hard, hard graft for him. And then obviously we, rather than being there and watching the edit as it happens, watching the show take shape and then going, oh, we should do a bit of that. We were kind of just clocking in every couple of hours, watching the whole show, sending notes. So he then had to trawl through. Um, and so he had this weird patch on Friday afternoons between sort of 12 and two where obviously you're getting really close to the wire. We have to deliver it at 6.30. Uh, and you, I'm like, I don't, you know, I don't actually have anything to do. Just sort of sat in the garden <laughs> waiting. <laughs> the bit, what should have been- That's a good bit. plus point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if, you're, if you could actually relax, it's, uh, it was sort of a nice thing, yeah. Sort of nice. There was, we, we, were, we started to deliver series when we were still filming the, the main program. And we did voiceover, which I, I love doing voiceover with the presenter, but Kirsty doesn't like doing voiceover. 
So and it was great because we couldn't do any, there was no way to see what she was voicing to. So we did it in, tw I mean, literally 20 minutes, which would normally take about two hours of, I want to change this word, I want to change that line, I don't like what I'm saying there. Just, just the back of the sound man, you know, the back of the sound man's van, reading it and going thumbs up, thumbs down, and it was joyful. <laughs> and actually, I really, do, I really do think if I can get away with it, we might do more things like that with Kirsty because it was a joy and quick. Um, so going, so there's some questions being sent in. So I'll, I'll look at look at them and see what people are saying. Um, let's have a look. So uh, when the talent are shooting themselves and thereby writing, presenting, shooting in lockdown, what happens to rights ownership? Chris, do you know that? What happens to rights ownership? Yeah, IP agreements. Someone I, don't know, I don't know if anything is different. changed. Mm -hmm. Don't bring it up. Yeah. <laughs> Keep wife. quiet about it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I... Fair enough. No, it hasn't changed anything, as far as I'm aware. So, question for Tim. Uh, when uh, was a great big lockdown looking to get closer to something grittier, such as video diaries from the 90s um, at the beginning, and then did it transform, or was it always going to have light, light and shade? Oh, God, it was always going to have light and shade. I mean, you know, you can't take relentless grittiness, especially on a subject like that. No, we were, we were looking for, for, for more light than shade, if we could. And uh, we, we wanted to see people overcoming things, and uh, we were looking for the joy in the darkness that was our uh, you know that was our guiding tone tom tom giles um from itv brilliant commissioning editor he was he got that straight away and he could see that um and i think that unified our whole approach you know if something was relentlessly negative which i mean let's face it the situation we're in is relentlessly negative for a lot of the time you know it, it's it's just a turn off you know we all watch the news every day you know who needs more of that so um, no, we were looking for people, you know, who were who were sort of trying to make the best out of a difficult situation with a smile on their face, you know, and 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 a, and a skip in their heart and a bit of joy. That's what we were looking for. Um, uh, question from James Bainbridge for Chris: How long did it take you to record and edit each episode? How did you monitor what Nish was recording? Did he have to upload rushes himself? Um, yeah, so we we doubled up on the way we got rushes. We got um, uh, a courier to pick up uh, cards, memory cards, and we also were playing everything through a. Um, we were recording everything remotely via, I think, Live View, the thing that Tim was talking about, um, and then it would get it would get transferred to the farm edit facility. Um, but yeah, we were watching everything Nish recorded. Um, the only things that we couldn't watch actually as, I mean, we probably could have done, but we just didn't, we didn't, and it worked, were the character inserts, the, 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 the news characters played by Michael Spice and Tom Bell and Freya Parker. Um, they would literally just go off and record them themselves off the script with occasionally some director notes from us. Um, but they would just go off, record it, and then just we transfer them to us. Um, and we didn't see them until they came through. Um, and I must say, I don't think they ever made a mess of any of it. Uh, they, as I say, it's that tech-savvy tech performers now. Um, uh, that and a lot of time in their hands. Um, they were building their own props. 
Michael Spicer built um, some lovely uh, fake Prince Charles ears. Uh, <laughs> sketches about the crown being made in lockdown. Uh, so, Creativity under pressure, that's brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> very good. They did, I don't know, it's always so heartwarming to see the effort they've gone to. Uh, it was very sweet. So, I can't remember the question, sorry. No, that was fine. It was about the, the time it took. Rebecca, someone, Dave Donald's um, asked this question, so I'm going to get you to answer. Did you discover any particular standout new ways of working that you'll still use when we get back to normal? Um, I mean, I think it's, I think people have touched on it already. It's the, you know, it's, you know, what can we do remotely? I'd be really interested in thinking that there is a better work-life balance out of this experience, that there's, you know, we'll gain confidence in what can be achieved editorially at a distance. We don't need to, you know, that presenteeism. Um, I hope that in some way that is impacted by this experience. Um, I think, you know, UGC material, trusting contributors, I think that's, I, I'm, I'm totally in agreement with Tim. We had a lot of people doing things themselves and I, I love that sort of handing over a bit of authorship, making a more meritocratic um, TV interests me. So I think let's see what happens with that. And then I think, um, you know, the, the, there, are, there will be technical things, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm just trying to think the way that we were watching the remote rehearsals, I thought was fascinating, John. You know, so we were able remotely to watch the live rehearsals. And although we weren't all able to be on top back, for example, I'm on phone texting people, you know, I mean, I thought that that was to me was extraordinary, the idea that you can achieve that sort of, um, you know, that you're available to watch and be really across what's going on, but not actually sitting in a studio. So I'm sure there'll be things like that that'll come out of it, which will be, I, I really hope that we do change a little bit. We adapt, we make it a bit more of a, you know, a family friendly sort of approach. You know, it's not um, sort of, you know, as, as Parliament's doing, you know, I just do hope that this stuff comes out of it that's really positive. Yeah. It stops you being a control freak. You can't be a control freak as much as you normally are. And you, yeah. know, you realise that there's loads of other people out there who are probably going to do it much better than you could ever try and produce it with them. So let them do it. You know, I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a question for, for John, maybe. In terms of kit, did you have specific protocols on who handled what kit, different rules about who would handle like mics and stuff like that? And was it all clear? Yeah, so, um, so as far as kit was concerned in Steph's house, um, like I said, it was, um, it, it started off when, when it was, um, you know, 14 people. We just had two people that would enter Steph's house, um, gloved and, um, uh, you know, everything, every piece of kit would be, you know, um, wiped down um, severely by, you know, anti-back and all of that. And, um, bleach on equipment. As far as Steph's mics con was concerned, um, she did that herself. Um, you know, nothing, you know, no one was in that room while she was. Um, so she, she, she'd mic herself up and obviously do her makeup and everything else. Um, and, you know, she even became the, luckily she had a house that seemed to be endless supply of props. <laughs> and say that you wanted a chalkboard and 10 seconds later she'd come with two chalkboards for you to choose from. <laughs> Amazing. Um, 
so uh, yeah, so so as far as kit's concerned, we we were um, we we were we were run by an OB company. So all of our kit got supplied by an OB company, um, who were um, many of whom were self self isolating themselves with each other, um, and uh, so so a lot of that kit was handled just by just by them, um, and and the bits that were in Steph's home just by one person, um, and that was it. And keeping with sound, Tim, did you um, ask any of the contributors to do anything specific to get the best sound possible? Yeah, make it audible. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they, were, they were filming. I mean, they were filming. They were, I mean, obviously, we, we told them, to, you know, if they were doing a really important uh, video diary, you know, we made it clear we didn't want them to do it in a really busy, crowded environment where we couldn't hear what they were saying. But we were using the mics that were on the phones uh, nearly all the time. So. Um, you, you know, it, I guess, you know, if, if I don't think we actually had to get anybody to record any sound. And if there was difficulty understanding what they were saying, we would subtitle it. But again, because, you know, the show does what it says on the tin, you know, we were very clear from the start that we, you know, ITV given everyone a phone or they were using their own phones to film their own stories. So an audience will accept that, you know, if there's a, a problem with sound issues, it's acceptable. Whereas, with, with the other guys on the panel, obviously that's not the same thing in a live programme, it's not as acceptable. Um, someone's asked whether we think that the, the number of staff may fall um, on production team. Has anybody got any opinions on that? What do we think? I hope not, we all need a bloody job. <laughs> <laughs> and I think even before this, you know, a lot of the shows I work on, uh, terribly understaffed anyway let alone you know after lockdown so i really hope not you know people are doing long enough hours as it is i agree uh, you know and, and 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 you know this country has always been leading standards in broadcasting and uh, and i hope a lot of those standards don't drop as a result of it yeah, yeah. I mean, no freelancers, Definitely. you know, we know there's been this horrible scenario for so many freelancers across the you know, across our sector. So yeah, we absolutely are supportive and get things back up and running soon. Yeah, quite nice working on budgets and kind of putting teams back in place and yeah. putting pencils across people's names and hoping we can get back to some sort of normality in the next few weeks. Mm. Um, someone's written, is there anything you're excited about doing when you get into a proper studio with a Steph show, Rebecca, that you haven't <laughs> done? Yes, <laughs> so many things. Um, guests, audience. Um, I, it's yeah, it'll be it'll be so interesting. It's going to be great. We've learned loads doing that. It's, it's like the most valuable bit of piloting that we could possibly have achieved, you know. So so now it is going to be about um, taking what we've learned and then transplanting it in there but having having an audience giving steph something to react to giving a real people avoiding those skype delays you know when you're on absolute tenterhooks about is the <laughs> skype gonna keep going you know uh, i think real reactions all of that will just be amazing so yeah we've learned loads and there's loads planned thank you yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, someone's written Giving, uh, Diane's written, giving the changes that have been made to formats, locations and filming. Uh, I just wondered about your relationships with commissioners. Did it alter the nature of the relationship and or their input? Anybody? I spent a lot longer time on, on Zoom with them talking about edit notes, but 
wasn't a terrible thing really. Um, I'm not sure it did for us particularly. I mean, we had a new commissioner, uh, which, so yes, it was different, but um, no, I don't think it did. I mean, with the BBC and obviously us making a satirical show, uh, the conversations we were having were, were different about the editorial um, in that everyone was nervous about uh, upsetting people. And I know, you know, they did get a lot of complaints uh, because a lot of people feel like you shouldn't criticise the government during a, during a pandemic. Um, but no, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, my reaction to that is if you don't, don't want to see the government criticised during a pandemic, don't watch a satirical show during a pandemic. Um, <laughs> um, Good answer. Yeah. Uh, someone's written here. Will shows take longer to make in future, considering the amount of safety considerations that may hold up production? I think they will. I think, I don't know about everything. I mean, a live studio show, the sorts of things we're doing has its own you know, limitations as to how slow it can be. But I know talking about drama and comedy and other things, scripted productions that I'm involved with, they will definitely, the, the theory is that to make them safe, is going to require a lot less minutage during the per day, for example, you know. So I do think that there will be some knock on. Someone's written, How did Chris get managed to get a suntan whilst making a lockdown show? <laughs> well, we finished 10 days ago, uh, and I have been sat in the garden ever since. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> well done. I mean, it's kind of me to call it a suntan. I think I got quite burnt today whilst playing football with my kids. <laughs> very hot. It's very hot in London, Andrew. Yeah, all right. It's not in Glasgow. It's raining. Yeah. <laughs> West of the lockdown up here, just saying. Um, it's an interesting one, actually. John, you touched on it earlier. With, with regards to safe distancing and outside broadcast, you know, how was that in the truck when you did manage to get into it in Leeds? Uh, well, like I said, it was, we had a really big truck, but, you know, uh, uh, and the whole production, like we've touched on, was was remote. So everyone, as Rebecca said, you know, execs and commissioners and, you know, the editors were all kind of dialed in so they could hear talk back and, you know, feed into the show. Um, but we were, you know, in the main production gallery, we had four of us in there. And that on, on some shows just wouldn't be practical. Um, and uh, so, so that's, you know, that, that's going to be interesting. But as far as the other rooms are concerned, you know, we didn't have racks engineers because we didn't have rackable cameras. Um, so where would they go in a, you know, in a, in a, in an OB truck? Um, you know, I know like uh, Elstree and other, other studio facilities who have more space and making, you know, galleries work, um, you know, uh, for shows like Strictly. But, but OBs, and, and, and I don't really, I don't tend to work in OB trucks very much, but um, I, I don't know how trucks are gonna, um, gonna adapt because obviously they're, they're by, by definition, they're, they're fairly small spaces that require a lot of people of them. And I think the last question, we're just about out of time. Um, are we optimistic? Bit of a bold question for us all. Optimistic about the future of television? Uh, before a vaccine is found and the novelty of Zoom has worn off, what do we think? I am optimistic. 
I think that uh, regardless, I think the challenge is the not knowing. And I, I do think there is a chance that we're going to go in and out of lockdown. And you don't want to be making a lockdown show that then is going to go on telly uh, when you're not in a lockdown. Uh, mm. And probably vice versa. Although, that, oh, yes, no, not, not vice versa, actually. That was a stupid thing to say. Um, but I think that people will find a way. Um, and I think that it, it has already thrown up huge creativity. And I think it will continue to. I think so, talking for comedy, some of the funniest things that you see now are people f filming themselves at home. Uh, I mean, Michael Spice from my own show, who's doing The Room Next Door on Twitter. That was a lockdown comedy sketch before we'd, any of us had heard of COVID-19. And it's, the, it's one of the funniest things I've seen in years. Um, you know, you've got people like Alistair Green also on Twitter doing hilarious sketches. Um, it's, we might have to find different ways of doing things, but I think we'll, we'll see a, a surge in creativity uh, because of it. Yeah. Well, I think I we just had, do you agree, sorry, yeah, agree, Tim? Well, I think, I think people always want to tell their own stories, don't they? And that's always going to come out. You know, people need to, you know, need to, narrative is the stuff that keeps us all sane. So, um, you know, there's always going to be a need to, you know, for, to document that and television is the best way to do it. And I think audiences have told us, haven't they, that they've, that, you know, there's been a huge appetite to for TV, you know, it's the sort of stuff that has pulled people through lockdown, you know, so I think it's, we can be quite a little bit proud as, you know, that we've definitely are part of a, um, you know, we've we, we given people a lot of support and entertainment and, that's fantastic to think, that, and let's hope drive that coming out of this, that we'll continue to do that for our audiences, you know. Lovely. Well, thank you very much for today. Uh, we've just finished slightly over time. So, yeah, thank you to Tim Whitwell, Rebecca Patworth, John Adams and Chris Stott. So, take care. Stay safe. Stay alert. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, Andrew. See you later. Take care. Bye, everyone. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org.